Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. I'm, well, it's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. On November the 7th, 1872, a ship called the Mary Celeste left Staten Island, New York. And what happened next is thoroughly confusing. Now, over the past few weeks on Loose Units, The Shadow Files, Dad and I have been talking about the Kellett disappearance. And while the similarities between that and the Mary Celeste are extremely superficial, I'll grant you. uh, At some point during, during the case, Dad, you mentioned the fact that the campsite, the Kellett campsite, was left pretty much just unoccupied and it was like they just left mm. uh and you com- you compared it i believe to the mary celeste i did and uh full disclosure i didn't know much about the mary celeste at the time i went away and did some research and yeah first of all it's a very apt comparison because the mary celeste was a i wouldn't say it was a huge ship but the disappearance of the crew has become the stuff of legend Frankly, it's become folklore. An episode of The X-Files was based on it. Who was the author? Arthur Conan Doyle did a story about, like, a fictionalized version of the Mary Celeste. And it became, yeah, uh, kind of a legend, really. Can you talk me through why people know about the ship, the Mary Celeste? And and let, let's, let's start from the beginning, I guess. Well, Paul, you mentioned Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But he was actually, at the time of the... When Mary Celeste, the ship, went missing... Yeah, he was twenty four years of age. But do you know what? I mean, he was an author and a writer. Mm. But do you know what his full time his day job was? I don't actually. He was a ship surgeon. Incredible. Really? Mm. That's interesting. Okay. He sort of he became very interested in this particular story. It's a story that I've known about for so long. I can't recall when the story. When I sort of first remember knowing about this story. In other words, I've known about it, if I had to guess, I'd say probably from the age of 10. I've the argument that I heard was that 
Yeah, the argument that I'd heard was that most people know about the Mary Celeste's primarily because of its, you know, treatment in pop culture, specifically the story I was talking about by Arthur Conan Doyle, but also the fact that it became shorthand for anything creepy happening at sea. Mm, correct. Um, like, a bit like the now, Bermuda Triangle. Yes, and now when I was a kid, by the way, and I'm sure 80s, 90s kids can relate to this, two things that I was told that I would need to prepare for a lot more than I actually had to have knowledge for later on in life was quicksand, which I heard about a lot. Mm. Quicksand was a thing that I was very scared of growing up, and the Bermuda fucking triangle, which, by the way, might make an interesting episode of of Loose Ends. First of all, the Mary Celeste wasn't actually the Mary Celeste always she wasn't always the mary celeste i say she because i think in nautical terms you meant to refer to ships as she uh but she was actually launched in uh, 1861 and was called amazon so amazon was her first name and i think much like with show dogs there's documents that actually you know show her her birth name i guess um and she did a bunch of sailing around nova scotia which i think is canada uh, i think yeah, Canada, okay. Um, and she was charged with uh, carrying timber uh, across the Atlantic, right? Yeah, and she, um, she and- coal, coal as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And she also, as I said, um, was going to take uh, 1,700 barrels of industrial alcohol, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, that yeah. alcohol was heading to Portugal, from America. Over the course of the years during which she was carrying stuff back and forth, um, you know, from London and whatnot, carrying mm. timber and stuff, she she basically, um, she, she went through a few kind of accidents. She had some misadventures. She changed hands quite a few times. Uh, her captain changed hands a fair bit. She spent a lot of time in the West Indies, the Mediterranean, just a bunch of normal trade. So uh, the year she was first launched, and I'm trying to get, chronology um so she was the amazon from 1861 to 1868 it wasn't until 1869 i I think it's important to know that she'd been uh on out uh, in service for you know nine years Mm. by the time she became the mary celeste because i think it's important to know that basically there were she was a used car at that point uh she she'd seen some stuff right and she was actually um she was pretty much wrecked and the wreck was sold uh, to a guy called Richard W. Haynes, who was a um, he was based in New York. Uh, he paid a fair bit of money, spent a lot of money actually restoring the ship, made himself the captain, mm. and then registered her under the name Mary Celeste. So she was rechristened uh, as the Mary Celeste, whacked on a new coat of paint. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that when you think of the Mary Celeste, you think of a ship whose story begins from the date of the incident, right? You don't think that this ship has been through a whole bunch of stuff and then refurbished uh, because I think the condition of the ship is pertinent, right? Mm, mm, definitely. But this guy that spent all this money, so he paid around mm. about, I mean, in, in their sort of in old old time money of the time, he spent yeah about, about $2,000 for the boat. Mm. He then spent an enormous sum, almost 9,000 having it restored. He makes himself the captain, registered the boat, and then the, he was obviously, he he went bankrupt because it was, the ship was seized by creditors and the ship was then sold to a New York consortium, okay, headed by a guy called Mr. James Winchester. And then over the next three or four years, the 
ship changed hands many, many times. And then it underwent another fit, refit. So, uh, as yes, you say, a lot was refit, happening to it. The second the refit. refit yeah, the refit's interesting because what they did was they put in a lot of extra storage space, right? Mm, yeah. Now, I am no expert seaman, um, but I didn't realize that you could just whack some new shelves and new decks into a ship and then just increase the tonnage which it could haul around, right? Mm. Uh, I know it's obviously more complicated than that, but what they did was they basically increased the tonnage to, and it says here, 282.28 tons. And then it kind of got split shares-wise, and one of the... Sh- no, uh, four of the 12 shares that were split in this bizarre Frankenstein's monster of a ship after multiple expensive refits, bankruptcies, you know, so all kinds of stuff. So a guy called Benjamin Spooner Briggs, and he's very, very important to this story, he ends up as the captain of the Mary Celeste. Yes? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And he was regarded by his peers as a very, very good captain. And he was also, um, and I'm not sure how relevant it is today, but in the 19th century, he was also regarded as a God-fearing man who regularly read the Bible. Interestingly, Dad, uh, I, a documentary filmmaker... Uh, a forensic documentary filmmaker uh, actually in recent years went and interviewed some of the descendants Mm. of Briggs Mm. to try and get a sort of assessment of what kind of person he was because what happened to the Mary Celeste, a fair bit of it in the history books fell on, well, I guess it's technically speaking, it's meant to fall on the captain's shoulders, but after consulting logs, which then went missing later on, uh, kind of one of the only places that this uh, filmmaker could actually go was to sit down and talk to his relatives problem is his relatives were pretty thin on the ground and all they had to go on was sort of you know um kind of uh just fairly apocryphal without having actual hard evidence all they had was character stuff and character you know character witnesses are are only worth so much especially Mm. this long down the line but what i'm trying to say is that by all accounts he was very good at his job he was good at his job paul he also i think it's very interesting and and important to note listeners that 1870 is not mm-hmm. a long time ago. I well, isn't no, it? It's, no, it's not, Paul. I mean, I can talk about members of our family. I can talk about your relatives. We can we can go to family photographs. It's it's relatively recent. I mean, Australia was um, in terms of it was no longer really a colony. It was a country, mm-hmm. and pr- pretty well in its own right. And no, it's not a long time ago. And I'd always thought and had thought until we started the research again on this particular project that this was a story from hundreds of years ago. But it's not. It's, it's relatively, you can, it's, it's, it's close enough in time for us to be able to do research. I've already got a theory because um, I've been thinking about it. I woke up early this morning with this theory, which I will allude to at the end of the uh, episode mm. and I think it's going to hold water which is a great a great pun and it's ironic let me, let me let me just wind back a little bit so um captain benjamin briggs mm. who again uh, is the captain we've been talking about captain of the mary celeste he got married uh, to the daughter of a reverend her name was sarah e cobb he got married in 1862 uh they they were cousins spent 
Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, Are you serious? 100%. Hang on, where did you read that? Mate, trust me. Sarah okay. Elizabeth Cobb was his cousin. Yeah. But doesn't Gross. specify... Well, well, I mean, if you're talking about inbreeding, uh, that can be problematic. Right. I don't know, actually. Uh, what I'm, tr- what I'm trying about- to say is... Hmm. Yeah, he he sailed with her though, right? So he had um, and and he and was and a baby. Yeah, in fact, when the um, when he got shares in the Mary Celeste, uh, he basically had the cabin reworked while it was getting refitted uh, to pretty much take care of his family. So uh, hmm. it's not a huge ship, but the uh, his cabin was a family cabin. Correct. So he travelled with uh, with his wife and, and his one kid. child. Two-year-old daughter, Sophia, yep. But, Paul, what we're saying now in relation to a a captain travelling with his family was not uncommon in those days. Yeah, yeah. But they left their son, they left their son Arthur. Yep. They they didn't take him with him because he was at school and Mm. the family wanted him to continue on with his education. The grandmother took care. Yeah, so basically when we talk about descendants, we are talking about uh, Arthur and we are talking about uh, his his mother uh, back at home. So that's kind of what we're talking about in terms of, um, you know, not not the most reliable character witnesses. One old, one very very young. Anyway, so he basically travelled at sea with his wife and his two year old daughter, and that will become important over the um, coming parts of this story. Hmm. And then there was the second mate, Andrew Gilling, who was. According to records, he was around about 25 years of age. He was he was of Danish extraction. Then they had a steward whose name was Edward William Head, recently married, and he was signed on to the ship because he was highly recommended by Winchester. Mm-hmm. And then they had four general seamen, okay? And they were... All German. There were two brothers and two other guys. And they were all regarded highly, and they described them in some of the ledgers as peaceable and first class sailors. Because to get a job on a on, on a boat back in the nineteenth century, you know, you would probably had have, have to have A had experience and B you know been referred. I remember as a 17-year-old when I was sort of not quite knowing what to do. I may have been a bit older, but I actually, no, I think I was actually, golly, Paul, I was married and I think you had just been born. Have I ever told you that I considered becoming a professional fisherman? You absolutely never told me this. Mm, I did. And (laughs) I actually went for the interview. What? Hang on. Wait. What? Yes, this is crazy. I, I know. I I was, I just because fishermen can earn a lot of money. Yeah. Um, one of the problems that I had in becoming a professional fisherman is that I get terribly seasick. Uh, I get seasick on wet grass. That's it's just so bad. I yeah. didn't tell the professional fisherman this, but when I remember I went to his place, and he had the boat that we'd be working on out the front of his place. This is on the northern beaches. And he was a hardcore fisherman. He, you know, he had hands like, you know, blocks of coral. <laughs> and he looked at me. He gave me this sort of, because I must admit I was fairly scrawny. 
And he basically, he summed me up and politely said, I don't think you're suitable. Isn't that sad? I never ever even got a go. I never even got a go on the boat. It's probably for the best, honestly, Dad. Um, I agree. I have agree. You, have you? Have we ever been fishing? Yes, we have been fishing a few times together. I, I don't recall it going badly, but I don't recall it going. No, look, I, well I, I think if you get seasick, it's it's it's. Okay, so on the morning of November the fifth, the Mary Celeste uh, heads out with seven crew, Briggs, his wife, and his daughter. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he sends a letter to his mother, which I have read. Um, where he basically talks about how he's going to miss his son, uh, Arthur, as established, and he's going to try and keep them updated. And it's a fairly just normal piece of correspondence, right? Now, as the ship is leaving, and this is something a lot of the history records talk about, there is another ship called the De Gracia, mm. which is nearby. Um, and we're going to get to that ship later, but the captain, uh, David Morehouse, is also going to be established. But the point is, Dad, apparently Briggs and Morehouse knew each other. They did, And uh, yes. this will... Yeah, whether they were friends or whether they were associates, whether they just met each other once or twice, that's that's going to come into play later on. But uh, where do you want to go from here? Because at this point, we're literally dealing with latitude and longitude. I've got a map here of the last known position of the Mary Celeste mm. and where it was found. But uh, what was Mary Celeste actually doing? It had cargo, like you said, barrels... Uh, alcohol, of alcohol, yep. but not, not drinking alcohol. It was industrial like alcohol. Can right, be methanol for, 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 yeah, okay. for la- lanterns, for mm. for steam engines. Um, you know, it, it's it's got many, many. It's got industrial uses. Can be used uh, in the funeral industry for mm-hmm. embalming. Uh, a multitude of, of of uses, and it was heading over to Portugal, and it's a fair trip. Now, it's, it's surreal in the fact that the captain of the other captain... The De Gracia, the ship, yeah. That, yeah. That they'd seen each other in New York. Yeah. That's incredibly weird. They so, didn't... Uh, go on. They didn't leave for another seven days after the Mary Celeste. Right, so 7th of November, Mary Celeste leaves. Seven days later, the De Gracia leaves. And then on the 4th of December, the De Gracia is heading along, doing their thing, and they spot the Mary Celeste Correct. drifting mm. in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Now, if you go on the assumption that the two captains knew each other and that they knew which ships were being captained by whom, you'd see the Mary Celeste and go, oh, that's weird. So, the De Gracia, which is a British ship, approaches, right? And they board the Mary Celeste. Now, Dad, talk me through, and this is where the comparisons to the Kellets get interesting. Talk me through what uh, what they found. Okay, well, firstly, we need to, to say that yeah, the Mary yeah. Celeste was 400 miles off course. Okay. 400 miles. So, a group... Board the Mary Celeste. They make multiple observations. They, I mean, there's been a lot of legend and conjecture. If I was to stop 100 people that ha- that knew a little bit about the Mary Celeste, mm-hmm. every single person would say a couple of things that are factually incorrect. The first thing they would say 
and it's something that I believed in my heart and have always believed for the last 50 years is that there was food on the tables. Have you heard that before? I think you told me that at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's a part of the legend and that there was this massive, almighty, deep, like a sort of a furrow literally carved into the side of the ship. Wait, what? Yes, that means something drew up alongside. I never ever heard that. Okay. They're two things that are that's standard fodder for this particular story. Candles still lit, food still on the table. Everything. It was just yeah. they've and that's factually incorrect. In, there okay, was great, no good. massive yeah. mark alongside the ship, which mm-hmm. would indicate some other ship logically drawing up alongside, i.e. pirates. Okay? And pirates were notorious. There were pirates from northern Africa operating in these areas. Mm-hmm. And you know, they they would they'd come aboard and you know, well, you can imagine what pirates would do. Yeah. Um, there'd be no survivors. Maybe they may not sure how pirates would feel about a young child. Possibly they would feel some sense of um, duty and perhaps take that person away. Um, certainly the men would be, would be killed and thrown over. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. But there's, you know, aside from that little bit of folklore, which is, it's all very well and it's exciting and it sounds glamorous, but there are facts that are immutable. One fact is that there was six months supply of food. The place was orderly. One of the hatches, so there are two major hatches. One of them was yep. uh, dislodged and lying on the deck next to where it would have been stowed. The one and only um, lifeboat, bearing in mind it's a relatively small crew, was was not on board. It was gone. 
The ropes were in relatively good condition, taking into consideration the fact that they're continually exposed to the elements. There was a sense, um, something very interesting. The captain's logbook, which is critical, was missing. Underneath the captain's bed, bearing in mind that there was no sign anywhere on board that there had been a struggle. Mm-hmm. And that kind of helps you discount the fact that there were pirates. Now, just quickly, the logbook, uh, the captain's logbook was missing, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But the logbook, there was a logbook that was still okay. there. And the last, the last entry was the uh, 8 a.m. November 25th. Correct. Paul, uh, which gave the, which also gave the position of the Mary Celeste at that time. Okay. Now um, that particular bit of information, Paul, that's what it is. It's sort of a pre-log. You would take contemporaneous notes. Contemporaneous meaning at the time. Okay, yeah. Like a police yep. officer at the scene of an accident takes notes in his official police book. They are regarded in court as contemporaneous notes taken at the time of the incident, not taken later back at the station. Okay. okay. So they've yep. taken these notes. These notes. They're kind of cursory, um, ad hoc, general, you know, sort of thoughts, a couple of, um, you know, their their location Mm -hmm. um, as per their marine chronometer. And then later on, they are then put into a formal captain's log, which is an incredibly important document, legal document. Um, but, But what this very important document stated was their location and based on this bit of information i would like you to at the towards the end of the podcast bring me back to this point because this is the point in my opinion as to what happened to the crew how's that the how's that for a bit of a cliffhanger interesting okay oh hang on you want to wait you want to do a two-parter no no i don't want to do a two-parter At the end of this episode, I'd, I'd like you to say, Dad, what's your what's your theory? Because there are lots of theories. Yep. Yep. And I I think I've got a theory that is, it's just absolutely top shelf. Okay. But it's exciting also because it makes me feel that no one's investigated the elephant in the room. How's that for a double cliffhanger? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, so they found the captain's sword still inside its scabbard, underneath his bed. And at the time, there was conjecture as to whether or not there was blood on the blade. There was also a strong feeling set out by various media outlets that there was also blood on some of the railings on the top deck. And also there were supposedly... uh, what looked like machete or axe blade sort of incisions. Those two theories were, were discounted um, well and truly. But of course, once these things get a hold, particularly in Victorian times, you know, when people are yep. reading the press, the papers, it's, it makes a really good reason uh, reading. Um, now, there was this device found on the deck and it was a device they use to calculate the depth of water. So it's sort of a weight with a string and they would lower it down into the hold. They calculated 
that there was around about three feet of water in the bottom of the ship. But that is not enough water to warrant, under normal circumstances, you to abandon ship. It was problematic because of the 1,700 um, barrels of alcohol to actually get a, a true reading of, uh, of how deep and how they were actually taken. Because of, because of the, the amount of weight that that would add to the ship? And also or? just to all... Yeah, but also to get this actual device to get all the way down through all the barrels, it'd be a sort of... And to sort of try and get to the very bottom of the ship because it's packed with barrels. Because barrels... One of the things that that barrels or any goods... Because a ship needs ballast, Paul. You, you understand the concept of ballast? Yeah. yeah. And once you've delivered your payload, so you're going from A to B, you get to B, you offload the 1,700 barrels, which would have a, a massive weight in terms of tonnes. You then can't go back to America with nothing on board. The ship's far too buoyant. Gotcha. So you take back from Portugal, perhaps timber. I mean... In Australia, a lot of our Baltic pine, well, early houses in Sydney and Melbourne, for example, have Baltic pine flooring that came back to Australia on sailing ships from Scandinavian countries as ballast. And then the ships would go back to England and Europe and we would fill the bottoms of ships. It didn't matter what you filled them with. It could be wool, could be wheat, alcohol. Coal. There are so many things that, and that's that's the principle of ballast, and you know that that they. One of the things that's interesting is that of the seventeen hundred barrels, nine of them were empty, and the opinion of the day, Paul, was that either a, the crew. One of the theories was that the crew had been drinking this alcohol, which you could do. And there was a mutiny. That theory short-lived because a mutiny would generally um, entail some struggle. Something, something's happened. They also felt that the fumes from the barrels may have sent the crew mad. That does not ring true. No, I heard that potentially some of the alcohol uh, could have spoiled so they yes. had to actually ditch okay. the spoiled alcohol. Interesting, because they've they've discovered since that of the of all the barrels on board, a hundred and sixty of them were made of a particular type of timber, and mm. the other oh, it was like white oak as opposed to red oak. I think was the distinction, or yes. something like that. Yeah, that's right. And the white oak was very porous, and it simply le- leached out, and that's that's yeah. that simple. Okay, so. What else can we talk about in terms of the ship? Um, one of the motors, so there were two pumps on board. They're bilge yep. pumps. They're, they're designed for, for for taking out water because ships do leak because, let's face it, they're timber. And one of the pumps was completely dismantled, which a common sense would say that they yep. were trying to conduct repairs en route to fix that particular pump. 
So there's that rod device thing that, that that was on the deck that was used for figuring out how much water was in the hold, and then there yep. was a disassembled pump. So those yeah. are fairly. Those do speak to uh, d- definitely something. Hmm. Um, okay, so the, the, in all of the stories that we'd heard, right, in the versions where there's food on the tables and the hmm. candles are lit, I think that comes from the fact that there was a lot of food still in the stores. So this, the, the ship stores and provisions were still basically full. Like there was, there was no food prepped, but there was a lot of food on six, the ship. Six, six months worth. That is a lot of food. There's no signs. There's no drag marks. There's no No. signs of of a struggle or a fight. There's Mm. plenty of food. And there is a lifeboat missing. Correct. So Now, that does kind of take the... Look, it doesn't take the mystery out of it, but it does make it a little more... Okay, please continue. Well, I mean, they realised that there was a lot of value, monetary value... The ship that's come across this other ship, mm-hmm. uh, the Mary Celeste, they, uh, the captain of the ship, he understands that if he can tow this Mary Celeste into a port, uh, Gibraltar, he will be entitled to a massive sum for this salvage This is a really... Rights. It's a very, very common thing, actually. His, uh, yeah, salvage rights were a big... Big source Huge. of income for people. Typically speaking, it was the it was the ship of an enemy. But if you find it just an abandoned ship, then mm. yeah, you you get money. That's right. So they tow the vessel. So what happens is they they the ship that finds the Mary Celeste. It has it has a crew of eight, and that's that's the right number. But they have to split the crew. So four go onto the Mary Celeste. So it becomes really quite. Difficult, but doable. Very challenging for four men to, you know, have control of a sailing ship, and it's a huge job. And they they follow each other, and eventually they arrive in Gibraltar. The Mary Celeste struck some severe fog. It arrives the next day. Then they have this massive court case, and it's really full on. It's just. And back in those, back in Victorian times, listeners, things were done really thoroughly to the point of just absolute madness. Everything was so thorough. And the magistrate uh, at the time, he believed there was a nefarious connection between the two captains. They'd colluded, which of course is folly. There's no way, bearing in mind that the second ship left New York seven or eight days after the Mary Celeste left, bearing in mind that the Mary Celeste was 400 nautical miles off course, there's no way on earth that the second captain could have just come across the Mary Celeste by chance. I mean, well, I I retract what I just said then and say that... <laughs> no, I mean, there's no way that, that they could have organised for the Mary Celeste to be 400 miles. It's just... That's crazy. Crackers, like yeah, a big insurance yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. And it all went through the courts and the captain got, you know, piecemeal a proportion of the uh, of the overall value. It's 46,000. Uh, it, was, it was not... Not what he it thought. It was not much, no. You know, for that big, big effort. But I think, Paul, we can rule out foul play 
um, natural phenomena, nah, giant squids, extraterrestrials. There are so many theories, uh, pirates. I don't agree with any of them. What I what I feel, mm-hmm. and this is this is my theory, uh, and it's a theory that's not spoken about a lot. But they have agreed in today's uh, world of sailing, and also going back then, that the captain would rarely, particularly bearing in mind he's got his wife and his daughter on board. He's got a good mm-hmm. crew. Everything's going well. They believe they're taking on water. The safest and most logical time to abandon ship is when you can see land. Do you agree? And they, yeah. So on the on the uh, the log, I did think it said that they had they were quite close yes, to land. At six the time, right? miles from Santa Maria. Okay. Six miles. They could see it. Six miles. Yeah, but if that's swum. the case, then what? Like where, where there's a there's a lifeboat missing. I get that, but yep. honestly, wh- where they go? Like they went why to weren't Santa they Maria. found? They went. Yeah, they went wh- to Santa Maria. Okay. And in all the readings and all the um, research that I've been able to do, they just there's a cursory sort of mention of Santa Maria. I've gone on and really looked at Santa Maria as an island, and it's and, and it's a it's it's a wonderful place and it's and it's got a population and it's got history and it's got plenty of places that they could have landed and i just i'd like to know how much research investigators of the day did in relation to what 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 research they did into looking at that island interviewing people on the island looking for wreckage of the small vessel looking for for bodies that could potentially, if the little boat had have flipped. But that's my theory, is that they made it to that island. Okay. And and that's, to me, that's the most logical thing. And, I, and that's what should be even to this day. But you don't hear about people taking that, that, that path, do you, in terms of, you know, research? No, no, I understand. Uh, okay, so it's not aliens. <laughs> No, it's not. I don't think yeah, it's not aliens. It's not a giant willy willy. Um, <laughs> sounds sounds terrible, doesn't it? Wait, what do you mean with? Oh, you mean like a tornado? Yeah, no. I yeah, not, um, a, like, not like a whale's appendage. No, probably not. So at Although the hearings, they are massive. The, yeah, okay. <laughs> at, the, at the at the hearings in Gibraltar, where they basically kind of tried to figure out whether um uh whether this second captain uh was somehow in cahoots. The fact is they didn't make enough money for it to have been worth it. And it seems so odd that none of the people on the potential lifeboat escape plan route of things actually ever, ever showed up. Uh, When you say willy willy, do you mean like a water spout? Yeah. Yeah. Even then the body would be found. Bodies would be found potentially. I mean, Uh, there there is one anomaly about this whole story that I find that I haven't touched on that is slightly problematic mm-hmm. that is that the walls and the general sort of the floor coverings ceilings etc within the interior of the boat were moist mm-hmm. okay what does that mean moist well they're wet 
I there's never ever been able to there's never been an explanation. Well, they are on the ocean, surely. No, but inside, like inside the cabins, they were moist. That you don't. That's that's not common. I don't think. I mean, okay. That's that's just an aside, but it is mentioned, and uh, that struck me as being interesting. Um. Yeah, but I mean, it was a damn ship from then on. It um. It oh yeah, so. What, yeah, right. So much in keeping with... That's kind of why at the start where I brought up the story of how it had had a bit of a story before it became the Mary Celeste. Mm. After it came back, after the disappearance, it was um, it had another life, right? It, it stayed the Mary Celeste, I believe, but it kept being used for different shipping routes. Um, it eventually sank, I believe, correct? Ah, uh, yes. Well, actually, it sunk on purpose. Did you know that? No. It was involved in an insurance job. And oh, in, the very, in its very, very last days, there was a very famous reef and everyone knew about it. And mm. the captain of this particular ship had overinsured the value dramatically. He then purposely ran it aground. And there's a very, very interesting offence that I can't recall, but it's a most unusual offence. And it basically means, and this is used in the 19th century, that if you ran a ship aground or, or basically let it go on purpose, you could be hung. It carried the death penalty. It was regarded as the most heinous crime. And this particular captain ran that ship aground, had the whole bottom of it torn out, then falsely um, made a claim that it had a lot more, you know, worth cargo than it actually did. Paul, um, and this is going to interest the listeners, that is that when the Mary Celeste was brought ashore, firstly, after it had been found at sea, and they carried out a very, very thorough investigation of the ship, they actually, and this this is kind of slightly mind-blowing, and I didn't fully appreciate the history of scuba diving but they actually employed a diver to go and go beneath the water level to check the soundness of the hull and his report was that there was nothing untoward but that's quite interesting isn't it so they really were very very thorough back then in terms of their investigation yeah yeah and they obviously had a look it it's a mystery, but I've heard somewhere that ships that that went down became abandoned, that were generally the crews were picked up by other other ships. You know, these things were, were commonplace and one author, one report that I read, likened it today to the amount of car accidents we have. Right. Isn't that amazing? The oceans are very, very big, and obviously the means of finding people that were missing were... I mean, what's amazing, if you just had a magic spell that you could just wave a wand and find all of these people... The, the right. ocean is probably littered with the end results of just some very, very strange stuff. I don't know if we'll ever find out exactly what happened. I don't know if I buy the insurance job kind of yeah. angle. I don't think it was a deliberate collaboration. What I do know is that Briggs, his wife, his daughter, and the seven crew were never, ever found. Uh, so make of that what you will. That is a proper mystery. Mm. Wow. Okay. 
Well, that's we didn't solve it, but we did talk about it. Uh, <laughs> that's a great mystery, time. Paul. It's a great yeah, mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us for this very, very strange and mysterious ocean-bound episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. We have so much to talk about this week, folks, uh, so make sure you tune in at the end of the week for another episode of Loose Ends. We are having such a good time doing the show with you, so make sure you head across and just tell us what you think, um, as long as it's good. Head across to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It is the best way to share the love next to heading to Booktopia and grabbing a copy of Electric Blue. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you very, very soon for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.